most certainly a blessing to be here this morning, not necessarily uh, under the circumstances that I would like it to be. Uh, it was very hard to hear Pastor Craig, for those of you that have been at this church for uh, many years or even many months, uh, you know Pastor Craig is not one to um, really pass the baton very easily. Um, that is both a blessing and a curse. Um, but uh, I am grateful for Pastor Craig and uh, his devotion to this church uh, and his love for the people here. Uh, and it is something that we share. Uh, and so this morning, uh, as uh, we will be looking at uh, a section in First Peter, uh, it was St. Augustine that said, Faith is to believe what you do not yet see. And the reward for faith is to see what you believe. And so this morning, as we're going to look at this text in 1 Peter, uh, I think we would be remiss to not uh, understand the purpose of these words, to look at the sort of context to what uh, Peter is writing and why he is writing it. Uh, this was written, obviously, by St. Peter, uh, what is speculated to be sometime in uh, A.D. 64 or A.D. Uh, 65, sometime around the Great Fire of Rome. Um, and for those of you that may have uh, decided to not take very, very, very early European history, uh, <laughs> you may not know too much about the Great Fire of Rome. Um, but this was something that was devastating uh, to this city. Um, this is something that thousands upon thousands of people uh, had lost their homes, had become injured, uh, or even perished. And from this, uh, the emperor, Nero at the time, uh, took it upon himself to use this as a time to both arrest, to persecute, to even harm or kill Christians, who he sort of shifted the blame to for all of this. And so from this, we are seeing this massive persecution of the church. And this is not something that has just recently come from then. Um, we know that Peter, there in Acts chapter 4, um, he was arrested uh, by the Sadducees, and as they were standing there, they could not find something to condemn him and the Apostle John. They could not find something to accuse them of, so they wanted to simply turn them away, and they said, well, maybe just stop talking about this Jesus person and you can be on your merry way. Which is of course where we get the very very famous words um, from John and Peter where they say, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. And so from this we see Peter's imprisonment. And we see, obviously, uh, then his letting out of imprisonment. And so uh, we see much persecution going on in the early church. Uh, and so when he has written this, we can see there in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, that he has written this to uh, those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen, um, or as the English Standard Version would say, these are uh, elect exiles. These are the church. These are, this letter is written to Christians, to believers, who are going to be suffering this persecution. This is something that they had already been suffering, uh, even to the end of his life. Uh, we know that Peter, along with the early church, um, 
they had just suffered such great persecution, such the like that we don't typically see. We definitely are blessed to not see here in America. Um, tradition tells us that Peter, even near the end of his life, had to watch his wife be crucified, to which he tried to comfort her with the words, Remember the Lord. That that's all he could do was just try and comfort her in this time. And we obviously know it's a very famous story of the tradition of early uh, church history of Peter's crucifixion. That he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified as my Lord. And so he demanded to be crucified upside down. Because he said, I'm not worthy to die in the same way that my Savior died for me. And so we see that all throughout his life, Peter has seen this persecution ever since Christ has come into his life, ever since he has been an apostle of Christ, he has seen persecution. And he knows what it's like when that persecution comes, what it's like to fall away. We think just after Christ's arrest in the courtyard, many people coming up and saying, well, you're one, you're one of his followers. We know that you are a disciple of Jesus. And he says, no. No, you must have me mistaken for somebody else. And three times denies Christ. And so Peter knows what it's like to really come under the limelight. To have the spotlight unwelcomely shown upon you as a result of your faith. And so Peter here is trying to write to the church, to write to these early Christians, to give them encouragement through these times of persecution. And from this text, uh, we're going to see three praises that we can have through persecution. The first is we're going to see an imperishable inheritance. The second is we're going to see a fire-tested faith. And the third is we're going to see the ultimate obtained outcome. And so first this morning, we will look there at these first three verses. Blessed... Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is, uh, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. And so here, there is a lot to break down. There is a lot said here. There's a lot of very encouraging things that Peter says. And so first, we will look at these first three verses where we see this imperishable inheritance. Where once more, verses 3 through 5, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
I think that there is no Christian, no true believing Christian that ought to overlook the great mercy that we have been shown through Christ. I think that all throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament, we can clearly see that one is saved not on a matter of their works, but on a matter of mercy by the Lord. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it says, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds, not on the basis of something we have done, which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. These are Paul's words as he's saying, this is not some sort of thing that God has looked through the corridors of time and seen some goodness, some good thing that we have done. But this is purely according to God's mercy. And so here, as Peter is starting this, he's saying, before we talk about the persecution at all, he says, may we never forget the mercy that we have been shown by Christ. May we never forget the love of the Father that He would send Christ for us. And from this, we see that, uh, once again, that this is by His great mercy, as He says in verse 3. I think that we would be remiss to not go back to Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, where he even says to the extent that he says, You were dead in your sin and trespasses. And yet still that God would, so sh- would show such great mercy that as we see here, that He would regenerate us, that He would bring us into this living hope, that He would literally born us again. And so from this, Peter is encouraging the church. And he says, you have through this saving faith that God has given you, that because of what Christ has done, he says, you have a living hope. He says, this is not something that ought to just end. This is not a circumstantial hope that when things grow bad, when things look at their worst, that the hope is now vanished, that it is gone. He says, this is a living hope. He's saying we must look past our circumstances. We must look past these things. There in verse 4, he says to attain an inheritance. I think that this is what Peter is trying to convey. He's saying we must not get so bogged down in the things that happen to us as we proclaim the gospel that we lose sight of what is to come. That we lose sight of the glory of God. I think that the biggest, one of the greatest things that we can take comfort in as believers is that there is nothing that will happen to us, for us, by us, that is out of the sight and out of the knowledge of our Lord. It is good that we have a sovereign God, that there is nowhere, no height that we can go to, no depth that we can go to, nowhere that we can go that He does not see us. Therefore, we can have boldness. We think of Paul's words of what can separate us 
from the love of God, neither height nor depth. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, from this gift of faith and grace that we've been given. And so here we must really, truly decide in ourselves when these times of trials come, of what will be our focus. Because so many of us, we, we're very in-the-moment creatures. We focus so much on the things happening immediately around us that we can so quickly forget about this inheritance, about the glory to come. We must remember Paul's words in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul here speaking of the future of salvation. That salvation is not just a past event that we have breezed past and that we can say, well, I was saved at one point. As we will talk about later, salvation is a past, present, and future promise from the Lord. And so here, Peter, and here in Romans chapter 8, Paul and Peter are both alluding to the fact that this salvation is not something that will take place just here on earth. He's saying that there is an inheritance to come. So much when we hear the glory, what this means in the New Testament, is they are referring to when we stand before the Lord. And for those that have placed their faith in Christ, that are welcomed into the kingdom, when all the sinfulness of our flesh is stripped away and we are left with nothing but the glorification that God will bring about, that then we will see this glory. That Paul says, no matter what struggles we are going through, what sort of persecution comes among us, no matter what sort of trials that we endure, it cannot compare to the glory that is to come. And as he goes on, we look at this inheritance that he describes, which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. This inheritance that is spoken of uh, in the Greek is kleronomian, which is the same word that is used to describe the promised land to Israel. It was their inheritance. It was what God was going to give as a gift to them out of mercy. In the same way, this inheritance, whatever glory we may experience in heaven, is a gift. As Peter said, this is not a result of some sort of deed. This is not a result of some sort of work within us. But God who has been merciful, who will allow us to enter into this kingdom. And this word imperishable that is used, is used again if you can jump there to verse 23 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 23. It says, For you have been born again, not of a seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. Peter once again is saying this promise was not given to you 
I think so often, uh, many of us have had people who have broken promises. We've had many of people who, maybe even ourselves, we've made promises that we have not kept. But this is Peter reminding us, this is not coming from some sort of perishable seed. This is not coming from a perishable point. That this promise is coming from the Lord. Therefore, it is imperishable. What God promises, God will do. It is great that we serve a God who does not forget about His promises. As Caitlin and I have been reading through the Bible in a year, uh, for those of you that made the New Year's resolution, don't worry, we're only 16 days in. There's plenty of time to catch up. <laughs> if, you, if you had maybe made that on January 1st and by January 3rd forgotten about that plan. Uh, but as we read through, uh, we see terms that are used uh, even in the story of Noah. When it says, and God remembered Noah. These terms remembered are not that God has forgotten about Noah. And we see this again in the book of Exodus. When it talks about Israel, it says God remembers His people that are in Egypt as they are in slavery. And this does not mean that God has simply forgotten about them. It is not akin to somebody who has forgot that they've left something on the stove that is now boiling over and they've said, Oh my goodness, I must return to it. But now the time has come that God is saying, Now is the time for my will to be done in this people and in my land. And so simply what is being said here is that although we may go through persecution, we may go through these trials, these are things that God allows us to endure. But before I get ahead of myself, in verse 5, we read once more, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Once more, Peter alludes to the future aspect of our salvation. That salvation is not something that is currently beneficial to us, although it most certainly is currently beneficial to us. But that because of this, we have a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. And isn't it good, that very first portion, that reserved in heaven for you there from verse 4 into verse 5, who are protected by the power of God through faith. What a glorious promise that it is not something that I have to hold up my end of the bargain. That we know that salvation is something that comes all the way from the Lord. That there is no aspect of me that God looked at and He said, well now I can save Him because He's shown me a little bit of promise. We were dead in our sins. And God still showed mercy. We know that the wages of our sin is death. We are deserving to perish, to be separated from God eternally, but the gift of God is eternal life. And so here we see that because of this, for those that God has shown mercy, these people need not protect it themselves. But here we see that it is protected by the power of God. 
Praise the Lord that we have a God that would care about us so much that He would ensure that our faith is sustained. He is the author and finisher of our faith. And so, as we look forward, though, this does not mean that I am off the hook. As we just went through our Sunday school study through the book of Romans, we think back to Romans chapter 6. So shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. This is not an excuse that since God has saved us, that since God will allow us and preserve us and allow us to persevere until the end, this does not mean that we may go back living a reprobate life. This is not an excuse, an entitlement to sin as much as we so may desire. We know from the words of the Lord that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Our desires change when God has done a mighty work in someone. And so we must ensure that we are not so focused on the surrounding things, the persecution, the trials, the things going around us here in this life, that we lose focus of the heavenly things. We think to Christ's words in Matthew chapter 6 when He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not and if it is protected by God, cannot be stolen. We ought not be so focused on the situation going on around us that we lose sight of eternity, that we lose sight of this glory to come. This is the imperishable inheritance. Something that that we see clearly that it's not going anywhere. That for the believers, God will allow you to persevere. That through the grace of the Lord, we will keep running this race of faith. And so then we go on next to Peter's next portion. Here in verses 6 and 7. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while... If necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is important to note that this term here used in the very end of verse 6, when he says you have been distressed by various trials, is the same used in James chapter 1, verse 2. When James writes, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. The Greek for this meaning all kinds of trials. That is the literal translation. And so here, we can imagine that, and as we discussed this morning in our Sunday school group, we know that uh, as the old song goes, times are a-changing. And we know that this culture, this world that we live in, has already been told to us in Scripture. That things will not improve, but they will decline. Things We will see sinfulness grow more and more within the world and within the culture. 
But we cling not only to the inheritance, but as he says here, now we can greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while if necessary, that even though we have been distressed by these trials, by these persecutions, it might add, that these trials that they are speaking of, these are not our day-to-day struggles that they are speaking of. Most certainly we can cling to the Lord through those struggles as well. But what they are specifically speaking of here is a trial of persecution. And I think so often the church almost wants to shy away from certain issues that the Bible could not be more clear that we are to stand firm on. I know right now, uh, for those of you that may have not heard this uh, in any sort of news, I know it's not a widespread uh, thing that has happened. Uh, Pastor James Coates of Grace Life Church in Edmonton in Alberta, Canada, was recently imprisoned for continuing church services through Canada's COVID-19 lockdown. In the middle of a church service, he was pulled out and taken to jail after numerous times being told to stop. And although he did not have any desire to stop in continuing on, he was arrested. And he's now been, since been released. And uh, he had written a letter to another um, pastor, John MacArthur, that uh, many may know. Uh, and he wrote to them uh, about a bill that has passed uh, through their House and Senate in Canada uh, on January 8th. It was Bill C-4 that they uh, titled it. And what it will do is it will eliminate, among other things, causing another person to undergo conversion therapy, promoting or advertising conversion therapy. And so what this means, and if you've never heard of the term conversion therapy, this would be akin to uh, camps and such things that are used uh, for those parents that have uh, children that identify within the LGBT community. But this is not limiting to just those camps. Uh, more direct reading, the bill defines conversion therapy as a practice, treatment, or service designed to change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual, change a person's gender identity to cisgender, or their given birth gender, change a person's gender expression so that it conforms to the sex assigned to the person at birth, repress or reduce non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior, repress a person's non-cisgendered identity, or repress or reduce a person's gender expression that does not conform to the sex assigned to the person at birth. And as stated, this definition is intentionally broad. They made sure that there is much wiggle room in this bill for the reason that they then go on to state everyone who knowingly causes another person to undergo conversion therapy including by providing conversion therapy to that other person is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term not more than five years similarly everyone who knowingly promotes or advertises conversion therapy is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term not more than two years. And the reason that this becomes an issue is that a person may label a church that is clinging to the Word of God and stating the biblical definition of marriage between a man and a woman that 
indicates the Bible's uh, definition of gender and what that means in gender roles, this person could be persecuted and even imprisoned. And so we see that our culture is turning such a tide that it has gone far beyond simply a conflict between those that cling to the word and those that disagree with it. That now there are going to be laws involved. And obviously, Canada being a very, uh, what most would define as a liberal country, although we could see things like this coming to the U.S., which will lead to widespread persecution, which will lead to lots of backlash. But if they were to happen, if we were to be in their shoes, would we stand for the word of the Lord? Would we continue in God's truth? These are the various trials that are represented. Not simply our day-to-day problems, which once again, we more than anything should cling to the Lord through. But in these times, when we stand for the word of the Lord and its truth, so much so that persecution may come about, whether that be our friends, whether that be our neighbors, will we continue to spread the gospel even to those that we know will be very much rubbing against the grain? Will we cling and look to the Lord even so through these trying times? And it is important. It is not just something that is a matter of, oh, if you would like to, you will do this. Because Peter goes on there in verse 7. And he says, So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. These things are not going to pan out for somebody who does not truly have faith. In our Wednesday evening Bible studies, we've talked about that someone may profess faith while they do not possess faith. And that in these times, in these trials, these things will be evident. This is a part of what Scripture would define as the fruits of a believer. This is something that, as he's describing, that your faith is more precious than gold. And that's hard for us to imagine because for so long, uh, one of the first major economic booms for this country was the gold rush. was people packing up everything and moving to California to dig for gold. And people are still doing that. <laughs> but gold may be found more through entertainment. <laughs> gold found in notoriety. But still so, it is more, our faith is more precious than gold. And much like gold, our faith is tested. And when our faith is tested, it will show the result. And the result that Peter states ought to be found is praise and glory and honor. That when we stand before the Lord, 
when we stand before Him, whether it be at His coming, or whether when we perish and we have a personal judgment, we will see whether when the fire came about, when those embers came out, whether our faith stood the test or whether it was burned up, whether we backed away and shied away, possibly because we never had the faith to begin with. We think back to Christ's words, a very important section of Scripture. If you'd like to turn to Matthew chapter 5, if you have your Bibles. In verse 10 of Matthew chapter 5, Christ is saying what we know as the Beatitudes. And He said, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Persecution is nothing new. Although we have no scriptural evidence, many have talked about to go back to the example of Noah as he's building the ark. And people are saying, well, Noah, what are you doing? He says, I'm building a very large boat. And they say, what is that? (laughs) And he says, well, the Lord has given me revelation that He's going to flood the earth. And that if I do not have this, I will not survive. He says they're going to bring water out of the sky. And not just water out of the sky. We see also that it comes straight out of the earth. And many of people have talked about the speculation of persecution that probably came to him. The mocking. The jousting of how foolish it would be for a planet that had never seen rain to expect massive floods of rain to suddenly fall down and come up from the earth. And yet he didn't waver. The Bible takes multiple times to that account to say, and Noah did everything that the Lord commanded. He did not waver. He was not going to allow the culture to influence him away from what he knew was correct. He was going to sand firm And yet also, there in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. I think many pastors, uh, as there's been a wonderful podcast that I've been listening to uh, to help aid pastors in their walk and in their ministry, uh, he talked about criticism. And that many pastors take great offense when they receive criticism. I'm very lucky, and at the mentioning of this, it might be my first day, but I've not received much criticism <laughs> for my preaching. But there's never too late a time. And so, but from this, this could be taken as a form of persecution. But the important thing. The important word that Christ uses is falsely. The blessing is not there if the persecution is just. If the criticism is 
just. If what I am to be claiming is in fact filled with hate, there is no love. I think many a people have seen pastors and other Christians that their desire is not simply for them to repent, but there's almost a hatred. And we are to hate our sin. And we are to have a disdain for sin. But when we are told to be in the world, not of the world, we still must endure in the world. Not only in ourselves, but we must remember that not all will receive the mercy of God. Only then do His laws make any sense. Only then does their sinfulness brought forth into their eyes. And so although this must not deter us from preaching the Word of God, we must be certain that what we are doing is not being done out of a hateful heart for the person, but out of a love for God and a desire to see repentance. And so from this, we see back in our original text that this proof of our faith, and it will be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we know that in the end is when this may all come to fruition. We may go through trials and persecutions and we don't understand them. It is hard. It's very hard when we see the hardening of a heart against the gospel in a friend, in family, and people that we love dearly that have hardened their hearts against the Lord. And it is very hard to see. It is very, we almost want to take it personally. But through all the persecution and all these trials, Peter once again reminds you that in the end, as uh, one of the many things to come out of the Reformation, uh, one of the many famous phrases, that in the end when we stand before Christ, it will all be sole deo gloria. It will be all for the glory of of God. That when we have endured, when God has carried us through these times of trials and persecutions, that it will all be for His glory. And that we may show this tested, fire-tested faith that no matter what came about from our friends, no matter what came about, no matter what persecution or trial, we stayed rooted in Christ. And finally, we see one final thing to cling to. And that is the obtained outcome. There in verse 8 and 9, he says, And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. We know by Paul's words in 2 Corinthians that we walk by faith, not by sight. 
It is not by some sort of thing that we can see. Unlike Peter, we have not seen the resurrected Christ. We have not seen the glory of our Lord. But he is saying, hold fast. Stay strong and determined in your faith. And believe in Him. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Receiving here could most literally be translated presently receiving for yourselves. In a commentary I've read, it says, In one sense, Christians now possess the result of their faith, a constant deliverance from the power of sin. In another sense, we are waiting for the fullness of salvation, of eternal glory in the redemption of our bodies. We will not see the end of our salvation. We will not see the glory until we are before the Lord. But this is what we cling to through these times. When we grow weary, when we feel like we have been beaten and battered by the world, we can take comfort in the fact that Christ has said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That we are guarded. Not only is our eternity guarded, but we know that we are guarded by the Lord. There also, as we close out and as we wrap up, in Romans chapter 8, Paul says one last very important thing. As he says, Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns Christ Jesus? Is He who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, just as, just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. It is not by our strength that we endure but by the continual faith and the continual grace of the Lord that we will finish the race. And so, this morning, when these persecutions arise, when these things happen, what will be the end result for yourself? Will it result? Will it last? Even though gold is the thing that is tested, even gold perishes. We know that God and His Word exist and will last eternity. When these trials and all these things arise, we must focus on one thing. And that is, has God so worked in you? And fix your eyes on this inheritance to come in heaven and on His glory, 
that we are willing to take a stand against wickedness, that we are willing to preach the truth and light in the darkness? Or have we no mind for God's praise, His glory, and His honor to come to Him at the revelation of Christ? Let us pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much. God, that You have shown us great mercy. God, that You have shown us great love in the sacrifice of Christ. Lord, there is by no other means that we could receive forgiveness. God, that we could receive atonement for our sinfulness. So Lord, I pray that if there be any here among us, Lord, that have not place their faith in You, Lord, that there be any that be not sure. Lord, I pray that You would do a great and mighty work in them through Your effectual call, Lord, to bring salvation to them. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us, not only in this church, but Lord, for believers all around the world, that, Lord, You would bring us steadfastness, Lord, You would bring us endurance. Though the times may change, Lord, though the culture may change, God, we are thankful that Your Word tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And Lord, may we not look to the culture to influence us, but Lord, may we look to Your Word and to Your Son as a living example for us. Lord, protect us in these times, Lord, of such uncertainty. Lord, to us, Lord, nothing is uncertain to you. God, we pray that you would give us boldness to proclaim your truth and boldness to stand firm even when no one else will. Lord, we thank you, we praise you. It is in your Son's name, the name of Jesus, that we pray these things. Amen. All right. And if you will all stand, we have one last song as we come near the end of our service, and that will be Amazing Grace on page one on page three thirty.